0: Thank you for tuning in to the Radicards podcast and radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Green. I'm here with my buddy, Ryan. Hey, Ryan, how's it going?
1: Going good, man.
0: Thanks for joining us. So, um, you know, in a recent uh, interaction with my buddy, Ryan, we were looking at eBay at the same exact time, and Ryan was reading aloud the same exact line of text that I was reading in my mind. (laughs) It's really amazing. Surreal. Surreal. I bet that... Like From a statistical standpoint, the likelihood of that happening again is so incredibly low that I don't expect that to ever happen again in my lifetime with anybody.
1: (laughs) Well, we do look at eBay a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, we do. And we look at a lot of the same type of stuff, too. We have similar tastes.
1: Yeah, it's still pretty remarkable. Extremely. Extremely.
0: Uh moving on here. Uh so Smart Mouth Brewing Company releases a limited run of beer infused with the Lucky Charms taste fittingly called Saturday morning. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. Because Ryan, you and I both remember waking up on Saturday mornings with a bowl of like some cereal and just knocking out a few cartoon a few hours of cartoons. Oh yeah. That was like that was like big product of my my, my younger, younger years. And um I I enjoyed that for a while when I was a kid. So, you know, um, this beer company, Smart Mouth, they released, I think it was a limited run for like a single day. And you can order it by the pint or like four packs for that one Mm -hmm. little span of time. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really an interesting concept. Not the first time beer companies have infused like other flavors into beer. This is not an uncommon thing, but... Uh, sort of an interesting spin on the incorporation of other flavors into the beer, into the hops taste. Now, Ryan, I know you consume beer. Uh, have you? Would you try something like this?
1: I don't know if I would pay for this, <laughs> but if somebody offered me a sip, um, I would certainly try it. Okay. I don't really have much of a sweet tooth. I mean, I did when I was a kid, obviously ate a lot of these sort of Lucky Charms type products, but um, I think it's a, a very... Uh, I don't want to say perverted, but like just an inappropriate mashup. Of, <laughs> inappropriate, right? <laughs> of of different taste palates, and especially if you if you read the article that we're going to link to, it's it's an IPA type beer, and if you're not familiar with that, it's it's more um, or it's much more bitter tasting, very bitter. than your normal kind of pale ale, and um, so I thought it was interesting that they chose to mash up the very sweet taste of Lucky Charms with the very bitter taste of an IPA, I would have thought they would have gone with a, a lighter, more sweeter beer. But um, I guess we'll have to peruse social media and try and get some reactions out of this because the beer beer um, has really gotten out of hand. I think <laughs> maybe, maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way, but um, the craft beer scene is just, it's like they're just <laughs> constantly trying to one-up each other. And it started with like the fruit infusing of beers, which I think is appropriate. Um, and now it's gotten to this insane level, what we're doing, uh, lucky charms. So, <laughs>
0: um, I've, I've read a couple different articles on this and the one I'm linking to doesn't have a lot of comments as I'm reading. It's got one and the comment is a negative one, but the <laughs> comments I've seen have been pri- like, kind of like in the middle, like, you know, some like, Oh, that's interesting. Others like I would never try it. So, um, Yes, limited runs, you know, you try them out for a goof, for a gimmick, for a marketing thing, and you move on, you know? And so this is kind of one of those things that helps for PR, I think, and in that way, mm-hmm. I get it, and it's cool. Actually, the artwork on the actual cans, it looks cool. I like yeah. it. It's very colorful. It's very reminiscent of, it's perfectly in alignment with the branding of Lucky Charms as, as we know it, you know? And Absolutely. So, um, really cool. I think it's really cool, even though I'm not a consumer of alcohol. I think this is really awesome branding. And really great marketing.
1: And so Yes. And if I know that everybody listens to this podcast for beer recommendations. Of course. So <laughs> I'll go ahead and give you my, my rule of thumb <laughs> is if you're new to beer, maybe you just turned 21 or something, um, German and Belgian and French beer makers got it right back in like the fifteen and 1600s. Wow. Those far beers bad. are still delicious to this day. I wouldn't mess around with anything else. That's all I buy. I don't really buy a lot of beer these days. But uh, if I am going to buy some, I just go straight to that because they've nailed it. Um, And there are some there's some fun baseball themed beers. I do like Um, there's a brewery in San Diego that does I want to say the 357 beer, which is an homage to Tony Gwynn. Oh, nice. I think think he hit that was like his career average was 357. Um, so that's a cool beer it's baseball themed um i'm sure there are some other baseball themed beers i'm I'm forgetting at the moment but tony Gwynwin's fun
0: yeah, his his career average is three thirty eight
1: three thirty eight that's what it is
0: is that okay yeah. that's the th- okay, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah sure that's what it is they there you can that's a fairly popular beer if you're um close to a major city in america i'm sure you could find it at the grocery store but um
0: yeah i'd like to see a a a beer that that commemorates or <laughs> immortalizes like a player that was once hot and then fizzled almost immediately like the phil plantier (laughs) (laughs) and we get a beer called the todd van poppel you know or the ben mcdonald all the classic names we all remember in the early 90s like those great classic classic names they're classic names man todd van poppel rolls off the tongue (laughs) you know ben mcdonald is almost impossible to mispronounce just good solid names but yeah thanks for the recommendations ryan i i don't because I don't consume alcohol, I, I don't, I can't recommend. So it's nice to have you on board to kind of give that sort of weigh in on that sort of thing when when we talk about stuff like this. Which Absolutely, is, which isn't very common, but still, it's like you know, kind of interesting from a marketing perspective. So I'm glad we got to t- discuss it. And probably listeners are always like, "How does this relate to sports?" Well, you know, fans consume alcohol, and so fans are going to understand and appreciate these kinds of things. I think I would assume, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I don't consume beer, I, I still you know have a respect for the beer companies because they're companies and they 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 serve they service an audience they fit and fill a need and so i i i think it's cool i mean i like it it's it's, it's fun so anyway uh moving on uh, i'm going to mispronounce this guy's name so ryan you're going to have to help me here oh uh, man
1: is, uh <laughs> hamadau uh, diao does that sound maybe i'm going to i'm going to say hamidu <laughs> hamidu diao diego hamidu
0: or do, the, do we have two l's do we can we is I don't think that's a Spanish name. Is it? that might be Di- Diallo? For all we know, Di- I don't know what Diallo
1: or Diallo. D- Diallo.
0: So anyway, he's six five, and he runs and jumps over Shaq standing up, who is seven one, and then dunks he? a a basketball, and then hangs on the rim by his elbow. I mean this is like superhuman stuff man. I mean I yep. look basketball players they dunk I'm always floored by it because this th- th- those hoops are high. Like they're mm-hmm. they're high up there. So dunking just by it's very design alone impresses me but when you're jump bump, jumping over one of the tallest most well-known basketball players from flat ground, no ramp, no miniature trampoline. <laughs> you're doing it just running and just jumping. I mean that to me is like it's like Michael Jordan from half court status. Like that, that gnarly.
1: Yeah. And not only is Shaq 7 1, he's probably like four feet wide, too. So he's huge. He's a huge behemoth of a man to to jump over. And uh, this moment was one of the more notable dunk contest moments in recent years. I usually don't watch that. Um, I think I stopped watching the dunk contest after like Vince Carter, those kind of days, which is <laughs> yeah, a, a long time, time ago. ago. He yeah. was like, He's kind of owned that contest for a good. couple of years, I think. He was good, um, but now it's just gotten crazy. They they jump over cars, and they they'll bring out like a famous rapper to alley oop the ball. It's it's a little contrived, but um, this year was was very very interesting. And this guy, who we can't pronounce his name, unfortunately apologized, to <laughs> Mr. Di- Diallo, but Mr. D, Mr. T, <laughs> uh, you you drew my interest back, so I'm I'm a dunk contest fan again
0: (laughs) so i've always liked the dunk contest because it just it's interest it's fun you know it's entertaining you know it's like the home run challenge like the home run derby like it's it's consistently entertaining like you're not having to wait for really cool things to happen they're just happening over and over again and i like that i think it's cool i never made it a point to go watch these things but you know if something comes up on like one of my feeds or something and it's 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 a small clip i'll pay attention i'll take a look at it you know and this is one of those things i was like wow this guy dunked over Shaq. like Shaq is gigantic. Yep. And I, I look. I think Jordan never ran from half court, obviously, but I think he ran from the free throw line and dunked at one point in the nineties, maybe the eighties. Yeah. Eighties was it? Um, like in the Mogzey Bogues, Mogzey Bogues was a small little guy, or Spud Webb, those guys. Yep. Those guys were in part of the. They were part of the dunk challenge. They were jumping, yeah. and they're shorter than I am, and they're dunking. It's like it's amazing. It's, it's yes. amazing. It really
1: is. Yeah, vertical leap. Um, I know I, I've seen some chatter uh, around the internet about incorporating some of the NBA All Star Weekend activities into the MLB All Star Weekend. Oh, that's cool. MLB All Star Weekend. All we really have is the All Star Game, obviously, and right. the Home Run Derby. Yeah. But basketball has the dunk contest, their All Star Game, and they have, um, I believe, they call it like the Skills Competition. Okay. And there's a whole array of, like, who can make the most three-pointers in a minute or something. Oh, or, yeah, that's right. I remember, um, remember that. You know, yeah. They do all these, like, little things. And uh, so people have been theorizing what would an MLB skills contest look like. Um, so, like, you know, throwing a ball into a bucket that's 200 yards away. or um, There are some pretty crazy ideas that I've read well, about. Is,
0: is one of them, too... <laughs> Throwing from the opposite end of the court and trying to get a a, a basket from that distance. I mean, I, isn't that one of the things that that would be considered
1: skill? A skill contest? It, it kind of I...
0: would be skill because he ha- it requires a, a like a, a, an unbelievable amount of accuracy. Yeah. So I I, I feel like if if I'm going to go and see basketball, that's the kind of thing I want to see. You know, I want to see someone, I I want to see someone jump from the th- three th- free throw line and, and dunk a basketball. I want to see someone throw a ball from the other side of the court and get a basket. You know, I want to see someone consistently throw three, three pointers and get as many as they can get. That's the kind of thing that makes me interesting. The Harlem Globetrotters always had oh. some of the most interesting antics, and I always loved watching those guys. I saw them once live when I was a kid. Yeah, at the Sullivan Arena in Alaska when I was real young, and and I remember just being floored by their talent with the basketball. Just, it's unbelievable. I mean, these are like pro basketball players. With, like, Superman ability, you know, and really incredible stuff.
1: Yeah, that's an underrated show. I think if – I I hope and I assume they're still touring the country with their – with the Globetrotter, like the classic Globetrotter show. Yeah. But if you haven't seen them, um, look them up because from what I remember, when I used to see them when I was a kid, they were, like, the cheapest tickets in town. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, they weren't very expensive. <laughs> Most bang for your buck right there. So, yeah, I <laughs> would – certainly go see them um wow if, if you live near a city where they're touring to yeah. definitely check them out and they always play like some phony team called like national team or <laughs> right team america or something like that and they always intentionally suck and the score is like 120 to 10 <laughs> but it's it's fun
0: it is fun i like it it's a good update i'm glad we got to talk about some of this stuff let's move on to I'm going to talk about three and four together, Ryan. Uh, Ryan, let's just let's discuss these two together since they they were some kind of happening in tandem over the last four months, mm-hmm. and they kind of just closed in finally. And you know, you and I are both excited for both of these guys, and hope them all the best. So, if you're listening in, the trades of both Manny Machado, Manny Machado, and Bryce Harper. So Machado goes with a ten-year contract, three hundred million with the Padres. Harper, 13 years, 330 million with the Phillies. It's finally, right? I mean, these are these are mono. These are really gnarly contracts. Um so going to start with Manny Machado here, for, you know, Ryan, what do you think about this contract length uh what they bought his his prime years? What they can hope to uh, to get out of, of him in the next ten years? Are we going to see him after the ten years is up? Is he going to be in free agency, or is that going to be the end of his career? I mean, what do you what do you look what do you what do you think about when you look at this contract and the player?
1: I, I I've always been a little averse to the ten year contracts. Okay. Um, I look at Albert Pujols as an example. Yeah. Now I love Albert Pujols. We all love Albert Pujols, obviously. He's going to be first ballot Hall of Famer. Of course, one of the best right-handed hitters of all time. Amazing. But when you sign someone to ten years when they're thirty-one, and Pujols' age has always been a little questionable, um, so he he could be a couple years older than that when he signed. He's sign. sixty. Yeah, he's actually a sixty-year-old <laughs> man, and uh, it's amazing he's still kicking out there. But right. The, the interesting thing about Machado and Harper is um, I want to say Harper is 26 and Machado is also somewhere in that ballpark. Um, so you're going to get a lot of the prime years out of them. And I think – I mean obviously from a business standpoint, I think the Phillies sold like 100,000 tickets after they signed Bryce Harper. I mean oh, that's really? just – it puts butts in seats. Right. And if the Padres and the Phillies can string together – you know, five or six years of winning their division and some playoff appearances here and there, it'll be it'll be totally worth it. Yeah, because um, they'll they'll make a buttload of money. Um, and the last three four years of that deal might be a little sketchy when these guys are in their mid thirties into late thirties. Um, but when this kind of elite talent comes up and you're that young, you kind of have to throw the bank at them and just sort of go all in make a commitment. Harper's deal specifically is interesting because he has a full 13 years, no trade. So like to answer your question, I I don't think we're going to see Harper in another uniform. I think he's going to be a Philly. Um, and if he goes into hall of fame, he'll probably be a Philly in the hall of fame. Um,
0: well, he'll be 39 when he's done with the contract there, there might be a, a thing where he's signed on for a year with another team. Sure. You know, that happens. I mean, some guys play until their early 40s. It's rarer now than ever, but it does happen. And if he's productive for the next, at least half of the 13 years at least, um, then he, he's you know poised to continue at least at like some bearable level for the remainder of, of contract. Now, I'm a Bryce Harper fan, so I'm a little biased. Like, I, I think he's a superstar. But I also think Manny Machado has a lot of great years ahead of him too. Now, I, I, it's my understanding that Manny Machado has – an attitude problem. I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, he struggles yep. with interpersonal communication, to say it lightly. <laughs> so I, I think that he's got some maturity to to overcome. And I, I think he'll get there. He's 26. So is Bryce Harper, as you mentioned. And these guys are still learning about themselves, I think, in a lot of ways. I think some are more mature than others at certain ages. But I kind of re- remember when I was 26, like, and so my friends were 26. This is pretty pretty normal stuff. I would assume for. I mean, I I can't. Not everybody is anything, right? You can't like generalize all this stuff. Right. But You think like these kinds of behaviors are more common at 26 than they are at 36. You know? Oh yeah. So I'm sure. as as you age, you work out interpersonal communication issues, the kinks, the normal communication kinks. And you just kind of mature. But you mature if you let yourself do it. And so I actually hope that Manny Machado works those kinks out sooner than later because. Um, media likes you know players who are kind to them you know and media likes to cover players that are nice guys to talk to and um, you know conflict is just it's 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 undesirable and so not saying avoid it but you might be avoided if you cause conflict so I do hope that Manny Machado is a more well-adjusted adult as he matures in his role with the Padres and I, I, I wish the Padres all the best with their tenure with Manny Machado. And as far as Bryce Harper goes, I mean, Ryan, you were saying earlier that, that uh, before we started recording that the Phillies have a good team around Bryce Harper. Yeah. And so can you can you talk about some of the guys that you come up with? Like if you're Bryce Harper, you're excited to play with, you know, who are the guys that are kind of on his side at this point to make the Phillies a very dominant team?
1: Uh, first guy that comes to mind is J- JT Real Muto, okay. who I don't know if we've talked about on this podcast before, but he's been playing in the basement down in Miami for a couple years. Arguably the best catcher in the game right now. Really? As, as far as his defensive ability and his offensive ability. Offensive ability. Yeah. Um, so they signed him, or they, I think they traded for him, actually. Um, and he's a game changer. He's going to be, um, you know, hitting in the heart of the lineup with Harper. He's going to be calling the games behind the plate. Um, he's he's definitely a force. And the Phillies also went out and got some veteran talent. They got Andrew McCutcheon, who's, oh, right, um, who's, you know, unfortunately, as as much as I love him, he's he's sort of on the downward slope of his career, um, as as it happens when you start to get old, but he's always been highly regarded as just a great guy and has a lot of great leadership qualities. So, um, he'll have a lot of sort of intangible effects on the team, um, that you, the average fan might not see, um, on the field. Um, and they also have a lot of great young homegrown talent like Reese Hoskins, who I believe we talked oh, yeah, about way right. back, Yeah, way back. Um, Gosh, probably like the first couple podcasts. We yeah, we Scott Kingery too. Housemates.
0: He's on the he's on the 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 Phillies, and yep. he he was discovered way early on when you and I got on board with
1: doing this like a year ago. Yeah, and um, Adubal Herrera, Cesar Hernandez, um, Jake Arrieta, Jake Arrieta, uh, Aaron Nola, who's their ace right now. Oh yeah, he's actually um, really he's productive. So Gene Segura, I think, is a really great acquisition. They traded uh, that was a, a Phillies Mariners trade. Um, but he's, he's been traded so many times. I feel bad for him, but he's a great shortstop. He's an amazing offensive shortstop. And, um, I think, I hope they can just sort of let him do his thing for a couple of years and get comfortable on a team and find his role. Um, but yeah, those are some of the guys that I think are really going to help Harper find him, find his home. And if, if Harper would have stayed with the Nationals, I think it would have been a slightly less lesser team to, to play for. Yeah, um, I think they're going so. they're gonna have to sort of start to rethink their uh, their lineup, and they, they have some young guys too. They have Juan Soto, obviously, who's um, I believe he was NL Rookie of the Year. No, no Acuna was sorry, but right. he was in the running for sure. Yeah, he was Juan Soto, and he's like 19, which is insane. So he's young, he's probably going to be the next the next Bryce Harper in uh, in DC, um, the next. You know, young offensive powerhouse kind of guy. So, yeah, Harper he landed in a good spot. Phillies they're gonna, at least on paper, right now in on March first, <laughs> they look they look good.
0: Yeah. So uh, Gene Segura came up with the Los Angeles Angels, all the Anaheim Angels. You he might did. remember, yeah, in 2010. Oh yeah, he's in that 2010 Bowman Chrome set. Uh, I remember back in the day pulling his cards. Um, and thinking like, who's this guy? But he's sort of come up a little bit in his career.
1: He's still young. Yeah, I want to say the Angels traded him uh for Zach Granke. They traded him to the Brewers um to get Zach Granke probably oh, right. yeah. gosh, eight years ago. Yeah, in twenty twelve. And he Seven played years for ago. yeah, Segura for a relatively short career. He's been on like four or five teams. So and really, I think through no fault of his own, he's a fine player. I think he's always just been a nice trade ship to uh, um, to trade with other teams. So. He's, a, he's a good
0: hitter. I mean, he, he's he's a very productive hitter. Mhm. And so I I I didn't I hadn't really looked at this guy's stats before, but actually, I, I you may have in the past, but it's kind of surprising. It's kind of nice. It's really nice to see his productive talent. Like, I'm looking at his stats right now, and um. I guess he'd, he'd, he'd make for a good trade. If someone threw him into a pile, I'd be like, I'm also going to add in Gene Segura, like, oh, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then yeah, let's do that. So maybe in those ways he hasn't found his footing because he's been just really excellent trade bait in mm-hmm. his career. That's, 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 that's what it is. So I cool have a stuff.
1: nice, I have a nice Segura rookie card. If anyone's interested, <laughs> we can work out a deal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Love it. Awesome. So cool stuff. Manny Machado signs 10 years, 300 million with the Padres. Bryce Harper's with Phillies, 13 years at 330 million. I I think about these big contracts, Ryan, and you ever you ever wonder, like, how did they come to three hundred and thirty? Why not three hundred and twenty five? You know, like why why was it a solid three hundred million with Manny Machado? That's a little bit more believable than the three thirty. Three thirty, I'm thinking like, why did they get to three thirty? Why wasn't it at three twenty five? Why was it at what about three thirty five? And I get that there's always <laughs> gonna be a budget, but you know, like how much talk goes into like zeroing in on these numbers? You know, I always, I've wondered this for a while. Like you look at certain contracts, like that's an odd number. Like on eBay, Mm -hmm. you look at prices and like they end at like 0.87. You're like, that's an odd number to price something on on eBay. Like, you know, 323.87, like where do they get to these prices? And then I think to myself, it's got to be a percentage markup.
1: Yeah. That's what I would think too, especially on eBay. Yeah. When you see an odd number, Someone is just going through and calculating like, you know, a 15% markup on something. Right. And they're not, they're not really thinking about what the actual number is. Um, I think these big contracts were like, we're sort of in that 300 million range. And it's just sort of been building over time. If you look back at, um, I think Giancarlo Stanton was the last guy to get a huge deal. He was like 325. Huge. Before that, you had a who I think had 297 for well, 10 years. Was
0: it A-Rod or was it Pujols? And, but then before that it was A-Rod cuz Pujols's contract was at the time I think like the biggest one that had been written and that was in 2011.
1: 2011. Yeah, you're right. So Pujols was signed after A-Rod and then before A-Rod I think Roger Clemens was probably the highest paid baseball player. Um but they just, you know, it keeps building and building and um, these agents are brilliant in getting teams to bet against each other. Um, there were reports that the Giants had offered Bryce uh, 12 years for 320. There's like somewhere in that range. So the Phillies were able to tack on another year and another 10 mil, and that's what won him over. So.
0: Correction, the, uh, Albert Pujols actually went from the – his contract was in 2012 not 2011. And I, I mean, I just was looking at like remembering where I was in 2011 to and 2012 and remembering some of the conversations you and I were having back then about like, Oh my gosh, his contract is huge. And he's going to be in the angels outfit. And like, it was kind of a cool thing because um, I was living in Fullerton at the time. And well, actually, no, I'm sorry. I had just moved up to LA from Fullerton, but I was still in like the vicinity. Like I could drive down there and then you have roots in that area too. So we were both excited about that. I remember. That's a big deal. Anyway. Huge deal. Huge. It's huge. 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 Um, I mean, it's almost as big as the uh, the news that we got when uh, Josh Hamilton was signed with the Angels. Ugh. <laughs> Poor Josh Hamilton.
1: Poor Man. Josh.
0: Poor Josh Hamilton. It was weird. Like, Angels picked up all these, like, amazing players, and the value they got from them was just not what they paid for. Nope. that, 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 that just kind of was what, what happened. I mean, we're looking, I'm looking at Paul's stats now, still impressive, still impressive, still
1: just, he's, he's kind of a shell of what he used to be though, really. He oh, to- absolutely. And, uh, the angels are famous, I think for signing guys past their prime. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, going back, they, they signed Rod Carew, Reggie Jackson. Oh yeah. Mo Vaughn. Oh, Mo Vaughn. Uh, Geez, I'm probably forgetting a few. I think they signed Bo Jackson for a year or two. Fernando Valenzuela. Oh yeah, Bo Jackson was there in uh, ninety-four, I think it was. Now, Rod Carew and Reggie Jackson, I believe, put up some productive years, but I mean they they were well past like the halfway point of their career. Um so Angels have a an interesting history of of falling for these superstar sluggers who have already played for 12 years and giving him a boatload of cash.
0: <laughs> wow, good call on uh, Fernando V. I didn't even didn't even didn't even think that. Amazing actually. He was one year with at the Cal- at the then called California Angels in 1991. Yeah, wow. Good good memory on that one. That's incredible cuz he didn't he played two games that year. So you only <laughs> you'd only have seen him for two <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, his his uh, let's see here, his ERA was twelve point one five. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, he's shredding it that year. Five strikeouts. Oh man, innings pitched six point two. I mean, he was in and out, and he's gone. Like, all right, have a good time. Uh, and it since your outfit's still brand new, you can give it back. We can give it to the next guy that comes in. <laughs> what, what
1: year was that? Nineteen ninety one.
0: Ninety one. Yeah. Now I'm thinking, like, have I ever seen any baseball cards with? fernando v in an angels outfit now that's a good question now i'm gonna like go and see if i can find something um it's just so weird to think about some of the stuff that happens there's that time that reggie jackson played for a minute with baltimore orioles back in 77 i think it was and so it's uh it's interesting to see that but yeah that's 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 good i'm glad you
1: brought that up that's interesting mike piazza on the marlins yeah but he has actually a lot of I mean, he does, like, but that was sort of a product of the hobby at the time. There was just so much stuff, so much stuff. But yeah, that was
0: a big deal. He went to the Mets, we're like
1: very quickly, within like
0: me. I think a week or two. I mean, he was only with the Marlins for a short time. But with mm-hmm. Fernando V, two games with the the Angels, and then that was that was it. And he was off to Mexico for a year for pitching, and then and then he came back uh, the following year, '93. He played with Baltimore, then he was with the Phillies, then he was with the Padres. Uh, then he's with the St. Louis um, Cardinals, then he retired in 97. So he he shuffled around a bit toward the end there. Jose Canseco did the same.
1: Well, Canseco, another, he was never under contract with the Angels, but he was invited to spring training yeah. in 1999, I want to say. I have a couple cards with him in an Angels uniform, but uh, there's very few of them just because he never actually, I don't think he officially made the team. Um, but there's another example of a, older power hitter that the angels were interested in
0: <laughs> right yeah well they, they save up and then when that by the time they have enough money to buy these guys the guys have spent 10 years in the league right <laughs> yeah
1: exactly. we've been saving
0: all this time for you now you're ready to come over to us so that's interesting i'm glad we got to talk about the manny machado and harper news i know that everybody was waiting for us to break it because it's never been discovered or discussed yet online <laughs> ever
1: you heard it here first oh
0: gosh that's like Dude, we've been dealing with the Machado and Harper news and tweets and rumors for f- the last four months. Solid, solid. And so everybody's like, finally, they signed. <laughs> finally. Now we can move on to the next thing, <laughs> like whatever the next thing is. So cool stuff. I'm I'm happy for them. And I hope them. I wish them all the best. Uh, moving on here. Let's talk about some eBay auctions and things. Uh, 1997 Metal Universe PMG Michael Jordan that we discussed in a previous podcast that was pulled. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, huge. It's the green one. It's the Emerald. They only made 10 copies. First 10 of the print run of 100. Those are the Emerald ones. Well, it was relisted. And then it closed. Get this, $350,000. Well, $350,100 is really where it went. Uh, A lot of action on that card. A lot of action on that card. And, you know, I was discussing this online with some fellas. And there's been some, like... Talk like who would spend that kind of money on a basketball card? Surely it was shilled, blah blah blah. But I'm thinking of myself. No, I don't think it was. I honestly think it's a legitimate sale, and the person who bid paid. I, I can't back that up without you know contacting the auction house and confirming it. And I'm not gonna do that. But I've seen Jordan cards fetched in the six figures. This isn't the first time. And in fact, this is one of the two copies of this card I've seen. I've, I saw example 001 of a hundred. The one that sold was 006 of a hundred. I saw the one O one hundred at the twenty fifteen national. I saw it in person, and it was listed right after the national closed, and it ended for like somewhere like eighty nine thousand dollars. And then it was relisted, and it closed like twice that. Okay, so you know this. When I see this now, I'm like, well, where the Jordan market is, and where I've seen the, the valuations go, um, the auctions close. I can I can believe this. And sleep well at night, assuming it's authentically, you know, and uh, it's, it's a legitimate transaction. What do you think, yeah. Ryan?
1: Oh, I, I'm sure it's legit. I think this card would get that kind of action any day. I mean, it's such an insane card. This is the sort of listing that I'll send to my friends that are not in the hobby at all. Yeah, like, look at this card. Um, and my friends that are outside of the hobby, they're always flabbergasted at these ending prices but um yeah really insane i I wonder when the next time we'll see this listed again
0: i mean we might not ever but we might see one of the other examples yeah i mean who knows
1: specifically but another example exactly yeah
0: yeah yeah here's the thing with me on this stuff is that this just debunks the the claims made by those people who think the hobby is dying i'm like "Dude, dude 130 bids you know, three hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't think the hobby is dying, man. I think the hobby is live and well. It oh, yes. It's flourishing,
1: flourishing. If you if you were the owner of this card and you wanted to sell it, would you go on eBay or would you bring it to an auction house and do like a consignment type thing?
0: Oh, I'd go an auction house because yeah, they I mean, so. they have they have reputation. They have a big email list. They have the marketing. They have the the capacity to get this out the door and get the most money for it. So I think with stuff in this this caliber. Of value um, it, it makes sense to go with a reputable house uh, now if you have if you have your own reputation and you're known for selling stuff on consignment yeah you can list it yourself and probably do pretty well but I think that selling stuff like this going through a house is a very smart decision even though they take a cut I mean whatever it's that's how business is. that's that's capitalism that's how it works It's supposed to work like that so I, I would be okay with that even if they took a large percentage of say like 80 grand Let's just say it's that high. I don't know without looking at the numbers. I'd still come away with like, like a significant figure. Mm-hmm. Still, so this is a big deal. This is this card's. A, a, this 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 auction ended on February twentieth of this year. So just what, like a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and then shortly thereafter, this is the next thing we're going to talk about. The two thousand playoff contenders championship ticket parallel of Tom Brady, closed at four hundred thousand one hundred. And that Oof. card has a print run of a hundred, not ten. So really, really fascinating stuff on this stuff. And these it, it, both the cards came from the same house. One of my favorites, PWCC. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they they just increased. They, what are they they upgraded the way they scan their images in, and so you get like a higher quality scan. I think they're really cool. But yeah, uh, February twenty fifth, the Tom Brady sold one hundred eighteen bids at four hundred thousand one hundred. And again, I think it's legitimate knowing that Tom Brady has gotten what six championships under his belt now, and he's yeah, it's I mean, crazy. He's, he's he's legendary. He's a, he's reached he's achieved legendary status. He's a very productive yeah, quarterback. Tom
1: Brady and Michael Jordan are almost they're close at this point when you when you talk about the legends of of professional sports. And I always kick myself. I mean, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I was collecting so heavily back in two thousand. I never purchased any football. I think I have yeah, a know. very small amount of football cards, but even the base tom brady uh Bowman stuff goes for a fortune it does um base anything <laughs> whatever yeah base, anything. I mean, base any, anything any tom Brady rookie era is like it's a gold mine so um yeah, four hundred thousand three fifty thousand
0: I mean does it, at that point it may as well be a million because. It's like it's so out of the my reach as a collector, but I like watching this stuff. I mean, I can't conceptualize three hundred fifty thousand. I don't know what that looks like. I know what ten thousand dollars looks like, but beyond that, I, I don't know. I can't conceptualize this this amount of money. You ever seen Brewster's yeah. Millions from the eighties movie? The guys that spend like a million bucks in, you know, like less twenty four hours. <laughs> no. It's actually pretty entertaining. I've written about both of these uh, cards on Radicards dot com. So if you want to go and look up. The, see the images and you know read a little bit more about these. Feel free to go to radicars.com and you know these search for these if they're not already still on the front page and i uh, have a look. So cool stuff. Uh moving on here. 1997 Upper Deck Game Jersey versus nineteen ninety seven Leaf Thomas collection. Okay, these are two separate uh sets that came out in the same year and they're both credited for something um, that, that kind of created trends. Okay, The 1997 Upper Deck Game Jersey set features three cards. King Griffey Jr., Tony Gwynn, and Ray Ardonias. And the Griffey being the, the, the cornerstone of the set, obviously. It's the first set in all of sports cards to feature game-used swatches. The cuts of jersey. Okay? Just the cuts. It, like a jersey embedded into a card. This is the first set that ever came out that did that that same year the leaf thomas collection which is a six card set and each card is serial number to 100 and each card in the six of the six card set features a different chunk of memorabilia it's the first set to feature everything else not just a swatch like first set to feature a chunk of a bat first set to feature a patch first set to feature a piece of a hat a sweatband pants you know, all the things that are in the set, is the first set to feature those things. So really, the first patches that were ever in cards were in this set, 97 Leaf Thomas Collection. I want to make this very clear because there's a, I've noticed there's kind of a misunderstanding of which set produced what. And they're both credited for different things. The 97 Upper Deck Game Jersey set is the first set in the hobby of all of sports cards to feature game-used swatches, just cuts, generic cuts of... The jersey, not patches or anything like that, just the cuts of the jersey, the swatches. 97 Leaf Thomas collection is the first to feature patches and everything else. Mm -hmm. So these are actually both very, still very highly collected sets even now. The Griffey and the Upper Deck set sells, you know, for five and six hundred bucks. The 97 Leaf Thomas cards can fetch anywhere from three to like $700, give or take, you know, standard deviation. So, these cards are still heavily collected and you think you know cards numbered at 100 they'd sell for less than what they are but no they're legitimately selling for up to upwards of 700 dollars for the leaf thomas as a thomas collector an advanced thomas collector myself of well over seven thousand unique cards and collecting him since 1990 i don't have a single card in this set that tells you that that should tell you how difficult these are to find and how difficult they are to finance when they do surface i mean they're just they're rare and they're super expensive, and so, like you know, going back to skateboarding stuff, I, I, when I was younger, I was in high school, and uh, I used to hang out with my skater buddies at lunch, and one of those kids asked me like the skate videos that I owned, and uh, I told him the skate videos. He's like, "But you do, do you have Welcome to Hell?" That's a toy machine video that came out in 19, like the mid nineties is like a really pivotal video video for skateboarders, um, so the skateboarding industry. I was like, "No." He's like, "Well, do not have any videos?" And then I remembered. That the first video I ever owned was a VHS tape that was recorded, that recorded "Welcome to Hell" and another skate video. So I actually did have that. That was the first video I ever owned. But because I didn't have, when I when I answered no to this guy's question, he said, "Well, you don't have any." Sometimes I feel like that I don't have any Leaf Thomas cards from '97, the Leaf Thomas collection. I feel like I don't have any Frank Thomas cards. (laughs) I feel like my collection is kind of like bear bearish without them but at the same time i know for a fact my collection isn't bearish i've got some of the more collected pieces you know that, that that you know people want but can never find you know there's certain pieces in my collection that are super super highly rare rarer than any of these leaf thomas collection cards mm-hmm. but still i feel like my collection lacks in that area and it's kind of like without saying it any better it's my fact my collection feels naked without them it, it just does um, but whatever, you know, that's just neither here nor there, really. But I just wanted to kind of talk about these two sets because they're both important for two different reasons. But they both came out at the same, at the same, in the same year. So, Ryan, you, you've seen these, right?
1: Yeah, I actually, I wasn't super familiar with the Thomas collection stuff. Um, I am familiar with the Upper Deck um, set. I think it would be cool to acquire the the Griffey one day. It's it's obviously pretty low on my priority list. It'd sure. be very expensive, yeah. but. Um, looking at these leaf Thomas collection cards, I kind of like the way they look more than the, the upper deck. Right. I've, I've never really been a huge fan of how the upper deck looked. Um, but I just, I respect them because of their historical significance. Um, but I'm looking at one of the Thomas examples on eBay right now. And I think it's a much sleeker design. This is a
0: really, really interesting set because of these chunks. This is the first time that, that we saw chunks like this in, in, in cards. Mm-hmm. Um, they're condition sensitive because obviously you've got the black that goes all the way to the edges. You know, a typical conversation we always have, you know, foil, foil and color goes all the way the edges. You're going to have condition sensitivity. This is why they, if they're graded, they're, gonna, it's, they're not going to grade out super, super high. Near mint mint is, is, is common you know, anything higher is just cherry on the top, but you you know, don't, don't, don't wish for it. So yeah, these are cool. I like these cards a lot. And someday I hope to get them into the archive, but if I don't, you know, I've, I've done pretty well. <laughs> I'm happy with what the progress I've made. I'll keep an eye out obviously. And, and the pocketbook ready, but, um, they are kind of, I've got other fruit that I got to cherry pick before I can get to these guys. So it's, it might be a couple of years yet even now from where I'm sitting before I can lock one in. It might not ever happen, but I hope it does. And so uh, I just want to discuss the two differences here, which is why they're significant. These are two important sets. 97 Upper Deck Game Jersey, 97 Leaf Thomas Collection. So glad we could talk about that. Let's close this podcast out with a, a conversation on context. Okay, let me just say this. Just because something's serial number to one Ie a one of one, doesn't mean it's worth more than something that's serial number to a hundred. Okay, Ryan, you and I both know in the modern market, one of ones are pumped out like in the hundreds, like every week it seems like. Yep, yep. You know, and it's so watered down the significance. Oh, great! I got a one of one plate of a guy I've never heard of before. That's not even in baseball anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. That you know, you could sell for like fifteen bucks, ten bucks, five bucks if you if you're lucky. But then you've got like you got ninety-seven flare showcase legacy number to hundred of like a Griffey or a Ripken or a Thomas, and that can close you know for eighty bucks on up to hundreds depending on the card and the row and whatever else. So serial number isn't really a benchmark for anything. It what it, the, the, what it comes down to is when what the card what set the card came from, the player, right, and the serial number on that card, not not Jersey number first or last. No, don't worry about that stuff. That's just made up artificial demand. I'm talking about like, okay, this is a ninety-seven flare showcase masterpiece one of one. These are the first pack issued one of ones by the way. Or a modern printing plate pulled out of 2019 Bowman of a player you've never heard of. And which would you rather have? That's like a no-brainer. Now let me go further with this. Let's say you pull a one of one that same guy that played of, of a, a guy you've never heard of in 2019 Bowman or a 97 flair legacy. What number to a hundred, like this, just a standard legacy collection of a player you have heard of and you, and you liked, and he became a star, if not a hall of famer, which would you rather have?
1: No brainer. Which
0: one? <laughs> hall of Famer. Yeah. Right. Totally. Because he's proved it. And some might argue, yeah, but you don't know. You might get a guy who's like, like when I pulled the Josh Donaldson super fracture in 2010, I didn't know who Josh Donaldson was. I didn't know if he was going to become anything. I even talk about this in the blog post I wrote about it, one of the first blog posts on Radicards ever published. Um, I didn't know who he was going to be as an MVP or be a good player. It wasn't until years later that we found that out. But, yeah, so those instances do exist. But is it better to know the information out of the gate, knowing that he did really well? Like, you buy a Mickey Mantle card, you know his career. It's done he's not going to be caught, you know, like running a red light, you know, he's not going to be caught, you know, with a domestic abuse, uh, uh, report or something. He, you know, we already know what mantle has done. He's solidified in history as one of the greatest hitters of all time, but we don't know what we're going to get with just some random guy coming out of a modern product that hasn't proven himself yet. So really it's like, where should your investment be? You know, is it in prospecting or is it in firm guaranteed like value? This is kind of like the toss up and there's going to be a, an opinion either way. Ryan, what do you, what do you, what do you say?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think going back to your point about modern one of ones, just sort of being pumped out endlessly. Yeah. Um, you really have to be wary of that. You know, if you buy a one of one from someone that's that's, you know, had their rookie year in the past four or five years, it might not be that special compared to something numbered out of a hundred or numbered out of 50 from the late nineties. Um, and obviously the, the player on the card comes into, into play here, but um, you know, just some, just cause someone's pumping a one hundred one on on eBay and they're making it seem like the most rare piece on the market, you know, don't, necessarily buy into that, uh, leverage tools like baseball Cardpedia. look at insert ratios. Um, obviously if you know, look at others, um, completed listings of similar cards. Um, but yeah, the, the cards that are numbered out of a hundred could definitely be way more rare and way more valuable and way more hobby significant than the one-on-ones that we see in the modern, uh, products.
0: Yeah. Good point, and thank you for for commenting. Can I say something else here too? Let me sure. just l- 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 <laughs> get your approval there for your <laughs> permission. Um, can we do away with all the eBay one of one propaganda, please? I mean, I'm so tired of seeing eBay one of one shoveled and shuffed stuffed into a title on eBay. Just because mm-hmm. you're the only person who has it listed on eBay doesn't make it any more significant. Okay, uh-huh. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter just it happens to be you're the only person who thinks that that needs to be sold at that time okay next week there might be one or two or not any at all but who cares what matters is 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 whether or not the audience wants what you're selling okay if they don't want what you're selling it doesn't matter if you put eBay one of one in it, or if you say it's the only one at eBay hey who cares man if nobody's buying it what does it matter it's been sitting on eBay for years <laughs> Who cares if it's the only one? It's the only one sitting on eBay for years going unsold. How do you like that? Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I would love to not see the eBay one of one uh, tag added to to, to titles. It's just, it's very yeah. fluffy. Fluffy, the, man. The
1: titles get ridiculous. There was one card I was looking at a couple days ago actually. It wasn't an eBay one of one, but it was uh, Super Fractor, or a modern Super Fractor like the last couple of years. And the title was was pretty tame. It said the year, the player, the product, and the very last word was "stud." <laughs> like, yeah,
0: because that helps me want to buy the product, like,
1: right? <laughs> oh, I'm kind of on the fence, but if hey, if you're saying this guy's a stud, then you know, take my money.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I like it when people put like um, uh, they put a bunch of exclamation marks. Yeah, you know, like like rookie exclamation mark. But the rookie is like some guy who like scrubbed out after a year's worth of and then he was gone and it went into obscurity like don't don't try to don't try to hard sell me on something that's essentially garbage you know like if i'll make that distinction you know if i'm player collecting a guy i don't need to be sold on his rookie card and and you know if 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 it's a really common card don't try to sell me on it hard like that because i could just go anywhere and get this thing like I see ninety score Frank Thomas rookie card exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark like five of them, I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter. I I would never buy that card raw online because the shipping cost completely cuts out any value the card would have by itself. I mean, here's a guy myself. I I bought a brick of fifty of those for ten bucks back in 2013. You know, so don't try to sell me on a ninety score heck 90 any common unless you're talking leaf for a pretty good price i can do leaf for like 10 bucks shipped but maybe seven or six but um with like the tops and all the other mainstream products i'm not i I can't imagine too many of those are selling raw online with the three dollar shipping you got to pay 99 cents pay four dollars for a car that sells for like 50 cents to the a dollar if you're lucky on and and in the wild so to speak so exclamation marks and you know I like this one, HOF question mark. I'm like, okay, first of all, th- putting that there implies that he's not in the Hall of Fame. And it also implies he might not make the Hall of Fame. Like there's, there's certain stuff that you add in that, and there's stuff that you can really do without. And I think adding, adding all these like these nuggets of fluff essentially is what they are. It's just senseless characters in your titles. If there was one guy, I don't know if you saw this, uh, one seller, Ron, you might remember this. Maybe you don't, I don't know, but he was selling something, and to get eyeballs on it, he put all the hot players' names in the title, like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Rookie Card, you know, uh, Bowman Chrome, Super Fractor. And then it, he was selling, like, a guy that nobody had heard of, but it was, like, a low-numbered parallel to, like, 25. And, yeah. like, I get the idea to market it, but that's a little deceiving because if I find that in my search listings, I'm like, dude, I don't want to – that's not what I was looking for. You yeah, that's annoying. It's annoying. It's annoying. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like it's like going to the gas station and you're 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 on empty and you get to the gas station and realize they're only selling they only sell uh diesel and you drive like a <laughs> Volvo. You're like great, thanks. I it's related it. though. Yeah. It's it's related. It's related. <laughs> it's related but it's completely without necessity.
1: Yeah, I see that a lot on, on Craigslist. I think Craigslist has a much more primitive search function than eBay. Um but if you type in uh you know guitar amp or something. Oh yeah. You'll see a car stereo, just because someone yeah. in the description of their car stereo put all the tangentially related electronic items they could think of, and it's just a basic keyword search. Yeah. So, if they happen to put those keywords in, it's gonna pop up. Yeah, <laughs> it's very annoying.
0: It's really <laughs> annoying, and and you know I I, I, I notice that too. Because sometimes I every now and then when I'm feeling like I go to a Craigslist and search baseball cards or guitars or something, and I I, I <laughs> Dude, I, I've i not had success with Craigslist, but people have had success with Craigslist and people will continue to have success with Craigslist. But in my experience, it's just a, like a dumping grounds of garbage in a lot of ways. Yeah, and eBay, some people have argued that eBay's like that too, but man, eBay's got great potential for sellers and buyers alike. Like amazing. I've had, I have had. I wouldn't be able to have built my collection without eBay. I mean, it's eBay's to think for how far along I've gotten with my Frank Thomas collection. Granted, there are other things that have helped like comc and like random auction houses online and then like people coming to me with their collections or whatever so but ebay is a big big part of that so i just want to touch on that that if if you have a one of one you know don't be enamored by it just because it's a one of one you know try to focus on what makes a card valuable it it's not always because it's only a print run of one just because they only printed one and there's a lot of scarcity for it doesn't mean there's any demand for it okay Demand and scarcity are two different things, and they're not always correlated. Okay, sometimes there's no causation there. Like, just because it's rare doesn't mean it doesn't mean people want it. You know, I have a dirty plastic bag that I threw away. It's the only one in the house. Does anybody want it? No, it's a complete waste. It's garbage. You know, but it's like, okay, then I've got let's say like a 54 Bowman Mantle PSA one hammered condition. They made a they printed tons of those, but I could easily sell it easily there's not a single person that would say no to that card in the hobby if it was thrown up on ebay everybody would go to it and it eventually would it would somebody there a buyer would come and get it right not everybody would go because not everybody clicks mickey mantle but you know what i'm saying is that like that just because there's scarcity in something doesn't mean there's a demand for it just because you're the only one listing it on ebay doesn't mean that everybody wants the one you have so I want to close with that because this is a uh, kind of an interesting topic, and there's probably more to discuss here. Uh, who knows? We might bring it up in the future again. But I wanted to just touch on that because I think there's a misconception sometimes with certain collectors and sellers that because they pull the plate of some random player, they they can get eighty dollars out of it, mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. they can't even get eight dollars out of it. You know, and sometimes it just sits on eBay going unsold for a couple dollars. And so it's like you try to understand what is selling, and it might not be something that has a print run of one it might depending on what it is just and and, you know you might have a better chance selling the legacy collection than you would the modern plate of a nobody like we talked about earlier so ryan do you have any final thoughts
1: uh i'm just stoked that it's it's finally march it's march 1st (laughs) and um it's it's essentially baseball season i mean not technically real games but spring training and um where I live in california it was historically um, cold this winter yeah which I know those of you that live in colder climates probably think i'm a total wimp but um, it was are. a pretty brutal <laughs> it was a pretty brutal winter to to be here in california where we're used to kind of nice weather year round so um, the weather was significantly warmer today it was sunny and uh, baseball is sort of into the swing of things, I can finally stop listening about um where Bryce and Manny are gonna sign. Um so future's looking bright. There you and, go. Uh looking forward to future topics. I'm sure as the season progresses we'll we'll uh we'll have a lot to talk about.
0: Yeah, there's always something. You know, I'll keep my eyes on the beer industry see if we can find some more incorporations <laughs> of some old classic yeah. flavors from our
1: youth, right? Yeah, we can start to transform this into a esoteric <laughs> beer podcast
0: right yeah yeah (laughs) we're joking okay relax (laughs) Uh, thank you for tuning into the radicards podcast and radicards.com i'm your host patrick grino and until next time enjoy collecting if you like this content please subscribe
1: thank you enjoy collecting